What if you took your favorite movie characters, pulled them out of the movies, then laid them down on a psychologist's couch, and popped open their brain, and kind of poked around inside? Well, not exactly like that. What if we took a doctor of clinical psychology and a wise ass, put them together, and made him watch a movie? Then we had the psychologist figure out all the stuff going on in the character's head. You know, the stuff that makes him tick. What's going on inside the minds of our favorite movie characters? That's what we're here to figure out. So grab some popcorn. Because this is Cinema Psych. All right, hello and welcome to Cinema Psych. My name is Jimmy McKay. I'll be your host. Alongside me is Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh, clinical psychologist. Hello. There you go. Looking inside the minds of your favorite movie characters, that's what we do here on the show. Your patient today, Alexandra Alex Forrest, the main antagonist of a 1987 film, Fatal Attraction. She's played by Glenn Close, who does it so well that I haven't looked at the bunny the same way since the 80s. <laughs> Alex Forrest was the seventh greatest villain of all time, according to the American Film Institute's 50 Best Villains. Fatal Attraction is a 1987 American psychological thriller directed by Adrian Lyne and written by James Dearden. It's based on a 1980 short film, Diversion. Where do we get into Alex Forrest? Now, Fatal Attraction, well, why don't we start with the background, right? I mean, the yeah, relationship... Okay. Between Alex Forrest and uh, Michael Douglas's character. Basically, what happens is they meet, kind of hit it off. Michael Douglas is married as a child at the time. The wife goes out of town. Michael Douglas ends up sleeping with Alex Forrest. And then it's just like a progression away. It's like the worst relationship you can possibly think of. Like it's, she's, I know it's not a, a proper psychological term, but it's, she's a stage five clinger. She's the original <laughs> stage five clinger. I, I, I can't say stuff like that, but you could definitely can. <laughs> it basically starts out as little things, and it kind of ramps up. It's like she shows up at his work. She'll call him. And then it gets to the point where she's, like, bashing in his car, threatening to kill him. And she actually does try and kill him at the end. If you've never seen the movie, it's a really good movie. It'll make you be faithful to your partner forever. You will never look at another person. At all, just because things can go so badly so quickly. She brings the noise. She brings the fear. Yes. She was doing an interview, I think, like for the 20-year anniversary, and she said that over the course of time, men have come up to her and said, thank you. I was thinking about cheating on my wife. I saw Fatal Attraction, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. So after they have their fling, she obviously <laughs> is what? Is she She's attached, and he, of course, is saying, hey, this is a one-time one night thing. I'm going back to my wife and, and my child, and she's not having it. No, she's not having it at all. Like she, she essentially wants to be with him. There is nothing that he can do that's going to convince her otherwise, and she has a belief that he's in love with her, and he just doesn't know it yet. And it kind of builds from there. Her behaviors increase because I think I believe that that's what she thinks is going to get him back. Like if she increases, like eventually he's going to see like he does love me. She has the belief he loves me. I just got to get it out somehow. So, so what's I'll like just... the psychological term for that? Where she's thinking, if I just do this one more thing, if I just amp it up a little bit, if I if I just keep doing this, if I show up one more time, he's going to come back. What it's called is essentially like acting out behaviors. So I'm going to act out. So maybe I can't express something to you. I can't express. Maybe for her, it's I can't express how much you hurt me, how much I need you. I can't express that in words, so I'm going to show you through her. It's like, look how big I have to act for you to get to see me. And that starts out very early, very early in their relationship where she has an acting out behavior and she gets him back. 
And she's like, oh, this works. And then it just kind of builds from there and there and there. So this is episode three. Why would you choose this character? We just, we just had Luke and Darth Vader having uh, lead off. But go right to Alex Morris. Yes, it is very much a left turn from what we've been talking about. Sci-fi, you know. Father, son, castration, love, all that stuff. I think that Alex Forrest, in my mind, she's a pretty good textbook example of someone who's struggling. When Glenn Close met to do the role, she met with two separate psychiatrists, and the psychiatrist, kind of, she kind of asked questions about, like, what do you think of this character? What's this character struggling with? And the psychiatrist was like, ah, she's, she doesn't have any mental illness. She's okay. But I think that she really articulates someone who's struggling with a variety of different behaviors because she can't deal with what's going on in the inside. In the original movie, when they had, there was a different ending to it, essentially. So in the, in the movie, she goes to kill Michael Douglas. So his wife shows up, shoots her, she dies. In the original movie, she commits suicide. Michael Douglas almost gets blamed for it. He gets taken, put in a police car, and the wife finds a tape. But people hated Glenn Close, that character, so much that they're like, she has to die. Her taking her own life is not good enough. Not enough. For this character. Exactly. This character has to be punished. That's why they changed the ending of the movie. Yeah, I saw uh, Douglas and Close talking about that on the, the same video you're talking about online, the reunion. And they said, hmm. you did such a good job creating this hated character that she, the only person that could actually get rid of her, it had to be a payoff. It had to be Michael Douglas and his wife taking her out of that. It couldn't be her just stepping away. Yeah, because it was it would be so anticlimactic for her to just bow out. Like, psychologically, that would make sense. But I think for movie audiences and our, our belief in, like, everything has to be tied up nicely, yep. like, that ending had to happen. All right, so where do we dig in with Glenn Close? How do we start <laughs> unraveling her character and Alex Forrest? So th there's basically four things that stood out to me about uh, Alex Forrest. The first one was, how did she get to this place? Like, what types of things could have led her down this path? Why? Why do certain characters act the way they do? And I think I was able to maybe figure out a little bit, because that's as psychologists and therapists, social workers, psychiatrists, what we want to do. Like, we can talk about symptoms. I can tell a person's depressed by the symptoms they have. And depression or anxiety has many different, like, faces. I want to know why, how we got to that place. What will make you struggling with the fact that you can't get out of bed or the fact that you're so anxious about everything that you can barely move? Why is that going on for you? Because if you just look at a person and say you're depressed, you miss a lot. If you try and just characterize Alex Forrest as someone who's struggling, maybe the term uh, a person struggling with borderline personality disorder could be used to describe her, you miss a lot of what's going on for Alex Forrest. And I think if people just narrow person down to that person's depressed, it makes it a lot harder to empathize with that person because that person is struggling with something. we got to right. find out the why. Right. Do we have any background for that? I mean, I haven't seen the movie in a while. I saw the Cliff Notes version online. I was watching <laughs> the greatest hits. But, you know, what's what, what, what are the hints that we have as to the why behind her, her behavior? One of the things that I picked up on, and I'm not sure if it's there. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a clinical interview with this woman, you ask a bunch of questions. But there's a scene where it has a newspaper clipping of her father. And it's her father dying at seven years old. Her father has a heart attack. There's one uh, scene in the movie where uh, Michael Douglas and her are kind of like playfully playing on the ground, uh, kind of like wrestling sort of thing. And he pretends like he's hurt or injured. I didn't think he thinks that he's dead. And you can see her face just like snapping. It's almost like she goes back to that seven-year-old. And I think the father's heart attack was sudden. And I think it really had a negative impact on her. Because if we think about it, like seven-year-olds really don't understand death. 
like a, a concept of a seven year old's death is like watching cartoons. Sure. So like when they see Wiley e. Coyote get blown up by dynamite and then they see him in the next scene, like that's what makes sense to a seven year old. Maybe they have the idea, you know, if it's talked about like what heaven is or whatever it may be. So a seven, seven year old really might have a really immature idea of what death is. Like, oh, they're coming back or, you know, I can't wait to see them. So obviously understanding that death might have been hard for her and maybe she thought something. So maybe her dad, Maybe her dad took one of her toys away, and she's like, man, I wish that he would die. I'm so upset at dad, or she had to wish he would die. Then he dies. A seven-year-old might think that they actually did that, like they wish their father to be dead. So I think for her, we start this ball rolling down the hill of like, I was abandoned. Right? I was abandoned. Maybe I did something. Maybe I didn't. But more importantly, I was abandoned by a man, because right? death is an abandonment at times. Like We get left behind when people die. We are the ones who are left behind and that can stir up feelings of like abandonment in others. And possibly that's where like her fear of abandonment comes from. We don't know how to deal with these feelings. We don't know what life was like afterwards, but you can tell her father dying just in that one instance where they're playing on the ground and her face changes really had an impact. Still there too. Even as an adult. Yeah. And it's still, it looks like it's relatively fresh. I mean, I can't tell what age she was in that movie, maybe like late twenties, anywhere from late 20s to, to mid 30s in that moment she goes back to being a child seven years old again yeah and you would think you know as an adult i mean I'm sure we've experienced death throughout our lives we don't revert to that age like as we get older we can kind of look back and we look at it very differently from when the person just passed away because there's time but if it's something that you've never dealt with or it has some sort of significant impact for you you can get stuck there and I think she got stuck in that seven-year-old, and I think she started to create the idea in her mind that men abandoned her. And I think that's terrifying for her. So that's the underlying theme, there, that filmmaker using that psychological tool saying, okay, she's got abandonment daddy issues there, so now she's going to bring yeah. that into this relationship, but we're going to amp things up. Yeah, yeah, we're going to amp things up because I think that in that moment when the seven-year-old dies and you feel that abandonment, that makes you feel something. It makes you feel... Maybe for her, it was hollowness. I got left behind. I feel so empty. So now, as we move forward, any time she gets left by a man, abandoned by a man, that same emptiness comes back. We go back to that seven-year-old. But a lot of times, people behave in ways so they don't have to feel the things that scare them the most. We talked about it with Luke Skywalker with the idea of shame and how he just disappears, withdraws from life. For her, it can be like, oh my gosh, I was abandoned at such a young age. That's an awful feeling. I never want to feel that again. How do I get men in my life? And I think for her, for a long time, you can tell in the one scene when she, um, Michael Douglas's friend like goes and hit on her and she's basically like, no, this isn't happening. I think for her, she tries to keep men at a distance because she doesn't want people to leave her. She uses it as a way because... As she said, I don't want to feel this. I don't ever want to experience that depression or whatever it is that I felt at seven. I'm not even going to let you close to me. So maybe most of her relationships are more like sexual in nature. Yeah, superficial, more sexual in nature. I'm fulfilling a need. Like I have a sexual need. I want to get that fulfilled. And that's as far as we're going. You are never going to get close to me. I am never going to feel vulnerable. For whatever reason, she lets Michael Douglas in. And when she lets him in, she doesn't ever want to let him go. It doesn't matter that he's rationally telling her that this isn't going to go anywhere. She starts yeah. to amp it up. So, you know, what's what's the next point? What's what's the next stage in that as we now, you know, what I would call we're going to stage five. So so the next stage, essentially. So she, he sleeps with her pretty good. He goes back the next day, sleeps with her again. 
And after that moment, he's like, I'm done. Like, this is, this isn't a thing. Like, this was a fun thing. We had a great day and this is over. And once again, you see that look in that moment, he leaves, he's walking out and she walks out and she's got, she's got the wrist cut. She'd cut her wrists. And I think for her, when he left, when he's walking out of her room, that culmination of all the events, all the things that she experienced, all that seven year old depression or whatnot, became so overwhelming for her. She's like, what can I do to get this guy back to me? And she came up with cutting her wrists. If I cut my wrists, he's going to come back and he's going to sit with me and he's going to, he's not going to leave me. And it works. He stays with her for the rest of the night. He takes care of her. So she, in that moment, she sees like, if I feel like he's creating distance, I can't use sex anymore to get him back, but I can do these grand behaviors and maybe that'll get him back. And I think that's the jumping off point that we see where she's like, all right, now I know that he wants me. I know he wants to be with me. I just have to show him how to do it. And that's what I said when I said acting out behaviors. That's an acting out behavior. I can't tell you how depressed I am, how sad I am, how scared I am. I can't tell you what it's like to be abandoned, but I can show you pain. And I will show you pain by cutting my wrists, and I'm going to get you closer to me. Okay. From there, then it just starts to amp up a little bit more, a little bit more, because she has what we like to think of as like erotomanic delusions. She has this belief that he is in love with her. It's called erotomania. We've all had it. Ever been in a in a bar and someone looks at you and she's like, that person likes me. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind that person likes I, me. Every time I go to a bar, actually, that happens to me. I mean, <laughs> every time, every me. probably every time you walk down the street, it's like that person wants to be with me. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we talk about over the course of our discussions, I want people to understand that everything that's involved with mental illness is on a continuum and that we as human beings experience everything. We experience symptoms of depression. We experience symptoms of anxiety. We all have delusional thinking. We all have some hallucinations. And it might be on one side of the continuum and it's not going to impact our life. But as we move further down the continuum, that's when it starts to impact our life. So like I said, we've all had that feeling like someone looks at us like that person wants me. And it's probably not that. Like they're probably looking at the TV behind you or the cool car that just passed you as you're walking down the street. Like that's what they're looking at. They they don't even see you or you're just in the way. But we start to get that some of that delusional thinking that this person is in love with me. And usually what it happens, it happens with, with people towards like celebrities. Like, uh, oh, Heidi Klum is speaking to me through the TV. She really wants me or, you know, happen to see someone on Hollywood Boulevard and they're like, oh, this person really wants to be with me. But it's usually with people that they have a strong connection with. And it can be mostly celebrities. In this case, it just happens to be him. He starts to develop this belief that he's really in love with me. He wants to be with me. And the only way that he's going to be with me is if he sees me. So the behavior has to escalate because he's going to he's going to come back like there's someday he's going to come back. He's already done it twice. Right. He came back for the fling, came back the next morning. And now when he went to leave, she hurt herself and he came back. So she's actually proving her delusion. Correct. Yeah. And I think for her, we basically do things that we know. We learn things and then we feel like, oh, this works or this doesn't work. So we're going to continue to do it. Sometimes we might not be able to engage in behaviors or we not be, might be able to do things because we don't have that knowledge. I don't think she ever had the knowledge to like learn how to communicate to someone. You really hurt me. I don't know if she had had the knowledge or the communication skills to go, hey, I want you back. This had a negative impact on me. So basically what we do is we go with what we know. So she stated, basically started to create the idea of like, well, I don't know how to get this person to love me because sex isn't working and sex is usually the thing that I use to connect with people. So if that's not working, what's the next best thing I could come up with? 
this is the next best thing I could come up with. And it works. It works for her. So, I mean, you and I have gone through life. We've developed certain like behavior patterns, certain ways of relating to people. And it's based off of things that we've done in the past that we know work. And sometimes we're willing to change it. Sometimes we're willing to not. But if we never learn how to connect with someone, if we've never learned how to do things like that, we try and figure it out the best. Like if they were to pull a car, you know, into this room, like you and I would not know how to fix it. Right. We would do our best. We do a lot of Googling, maybe YouTubing, but we can't be blamed for not knowing it because we never learned it. Same thing as learning how to relate to people. If you never learned it as a kid, it's hard to learn it as an adult. All right, where do we go next? All right, so as you can see, the behaviors ramp up, ramp up, showing up at office, things like that. But one of the things, one of the main scenes that really stood out to me is the body dying. It's one of the famous scenes in a lot of movies. So, um, I so think. set this one up, you know, kind of why does she go after it? The bunny is actually his kids and it's yeah. in the backyard and they've got it in the cage. So it's he's back with his wife and his kid and uh, and the family unit. And the scene is going back and forth. It's mm-hmm. So what happened to set the scene up? I think Michael Douglas is feeling bad, like a lot of this stuff's happening. And I think his daughter had wanted a bunny for a very long time. So he brings home a bunny. And child opens it up, and the mom's sitting there, and everyone's happy. And Glenn Close is spying on him, stalking him. And I think for the first time in her life, that delusion that he loves me gets broken. I think for the first time, she she starts to see, like, oh, they're a family. This isn't going to work, and it's that bunny's fault. The bunny is at fault for them being a family. So they leave. I think they go back to the city. I think they were living outside the city, and they go back into the city. Like she decides, well, if the bunny is the thing that connects them as a family, the bunny needs to die. I need to eliminate this thing because if this is what draws them together, if that's not there anymore, then he's going to want me again. Then he's going to want to be with me again. So I think that's why the bunny has to die. That's the one we think of them as objects um, when we're talking about psychology, something that people connect to. That's the object in her mind that connects that family. And if she wants Michael Douglas, if she wants him back, the only way that's going to happen is if there's no bunny. So that's why the bunny gets boiled, which this is a tough scene. When I was doing research on this, I guess like a bunny boiler is something that they call people in England for people that are overly attached in their romantic relationships. Like, well, that's a horrible thing to say. Now we Uh, get it. Now we get it. All right, where do we go next? So the last thing that I saw is... The idea of when she kidnaps the girl. Yeah. Uh, she kidnaps the girl from the school. So she and, actually uh, takes Michael Douglas's character's daughter. She picks her up from school and takes her, but she takes her to an amusement park, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, as a side note, like, schools were very different back then. Oh, like, yeah. to get into a school now, you have to pass, like, you got a ring in. You have to be okay. They do voice recognition. They take blood from you. Like, it takes a lot to get into a school nowadays. She just walked in and took the kid and left with her. That's the that 80s, doesn't happen. That's the 80s. Yeah, apparently, you look like you're a grown person. Just take this child out of our school. That's basically what we want. So I think the reason that she takes the child is because she wants to be a mother figure to the child. So this is the last kind of step. She realizes, like, well, I'm not going to get rid of this family, so how do I replace mom? I replace mom because I want to be mom. And I think the reason that she takes her on a roller coaster is for little kids. Like, roller coasters are pretty scary. It's just a stone face on the roller coaster like it's very very flat affect no expression exactly as i was watching it i started to think is she a psychopath but i don't i don't think so because psychopaths need that kind of stimulation but i don't think she is but i think the reason that she took her on the roller coaster 
is because she wanted the daughter to feel scared and then her to be able to comfort the daughter. Like, I'm going to be your new mommy. Your mommy's not going to be around in a little bit, so I'm going to be your new mommy moving forward. That's what I think the goal of her trying to take the daughter away from because that was going to be the final piece of the puzzle. So, Michael Douglas, you want a family? You want a husband, wife, daughter? I'll give you that. And the way that I'm going to give you that is I'm going to get your daughter to attach to me. So we'll she's looking for mom. any way to get into the, to the family, remove the bunny, insert herself into the daughter's relationship, build that bond. And I, I guess the next thing would be either, you know, would be physically kill the wife. Yeah, physically kill the wife and then she can re- replace. Part of me wonders is that maybe that was her original plan. I think she ends up starting to go after Michael Douglas at the end. But I think her original plan would have been like, well, I made the connection with this kid. She loves me now because I you know, made her feel good while she was sitting on a roller coaster. So now that the wife's gone, he'll now want to be with me because she's out of the way. And we don't have to worry about it because the kid's on board. The kid already likes me. So it's just sequential. All right, this is how things are going to work out. More of her delusional thinking. Okay, well, this makes sense. I'll just keep doing it. Exactly. Delusion is essentially a belief that we have against other evidence that it doesn't exist. He's shown her, I don't want to be with you. And he can't tell her loud enough or enough times, but it doesn't change her mind. And that's what makes it a delusion. Okay. You know, as, we, as we talked about before, like we all have delusional thoughts, but we don't hang on to them. She hangs on to them very, very tightly. All right. Last part of the show is the wrap up. How do we wrap up Alex Forrest and Glenn Close? Funny boiling. <laughs> I think for me, when I look at this character, I do feel a lot of sympathy for her. Like, I think she gets a bad rap. But when I look at her, I see a seven-year-old kid who lost her parent in a very tragic way. And from that point on, she was just trying to figure out life to the best of her ability. And she was just coming up with the best that she could do. She was coming up with how... How am I going to manage life? How am I going to relate to people? How am I going to avoid that feeling of being abandoned? And no one ever taught her. So she was just kind of figuring out on the fly. And I think that sometimes I think that her borderline personality gets thrown around a lot and has a lot of negative connotations to it. Most of those people are just doing things that they're trying to figure out or they know has worked in the past. So they're not trying to like manipulate her. They're just doing the best that they can. And that's what we do in life, right? We try to, we, we figure it out. Now, some of us have people around to instruct us when we're doing the wrong mm-hmm. behavior, and sometimes we don't. Exactly. And in her case, she's trying to fight off the most powerful negative feeling she can ever think of, being abandoned by a father. And I'll throw this hypothesis on there. This is my fantasy, so own it as my fantasy. I have a small belief that maybe she thought in her mind, like, I just wish you would die. Like, maybe he did something so inconsequential. And she had the thought, like, God, I wish you were dead. And then he dies. And that just makes it so much worse. But like I said, that's a fantasy yeah. I have. She can't let it go. after, If that were to be true in the character's profile, yeah. that would be very, very hard to move past. Maybe That'd as a seven-year-old, to impossible to move past. Exactly. I, My dad is dead, and it's my fault. And it hurts so bad. So I do, feel, I do empathize with the character just because she's doing the best that she can. You know, from an outsider looking in, it's like, oh, that person's crazy, whatnot, psychopathic, borderline. No, they're just trying to figure it out. So our job as psychologists, therapists, clinical social workers, psychiatrists, is how do we help you be able to express what's going on for you? How do we be able to express that things hurt? And maybe not use behaviors that push people away, but try and get them a little bit closer. Well, that's getting inside the mind of Alexandra, Alex Forrest, Glenn Close, playing it dead on in the 1987 (laughs) (laughs) attraction. She did such 
she did such a good job. It's such a good job. I mean, if you're right. still talking about getting people coming up to you and saying, thank you for playing that character. It, it, it saved my marriage because I wasn't going to stray. You know, you nailed the role 20 years, 20 years plus after that. And she does such a good job. I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up, but she does such a good job of like walking the line between like, I'm a normal functioning person. So like I have complete loss of reality. And that's why when we have, when we talk about personality organization on a continuum, there's like psychotic. So no touch with reality, neurotic, great touch with reality. In the middle is borderline. The borderline personality organization is sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they look like they're struggling with reality. And I think she does an excellent job of sitting in the middle and being able to show like I can do both. Okay. Well, that's why we brought her up. Episode three of Cinema Psych is in the books. Thanks for listening. This is the part of the show we give you the credits. Super fun part. This show is produced by PT Pinecast LLC with your hosts, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh and Jimmy McKay. That's me. Nothing that you heard here should be taken as professional advice. If you're having a mental health issue, seek help from a qualified professional. Our lawyers made us say that.